Uh, today is our last in a short series, four Sundays in a row, looking through four psalms written by David so we can root them in a person's life rather than someone anonymous. Today we're going to look at Psalm 139. If you would like to turn there, if you don't know where Psalms is in the Bible, it's almost slap bang in the middle, but you do have a cheaty contents table right at the beginning as well. If you've got one of these blue ones, it will be on page 628, Psalm 139, page 628 in the blue Bibles. Let me just hang something up for later. Lord, we're opening up your word, and we don't want to dishonour it, because we believe it's your word. You're revealing yourself to us for eternity, that we might know you. Lord, help us as I preach, as I've already prepared, but as we receive, more importantly, may we each one of us hear from you, may you provoke us, stir us where we need to be stirred, challenge us, challenge me where I need to be challenged. And teach me, Lord. I want to grow, that you might be glorified. Not that it's about me, that it's about you. Help us this morning. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Should we play a game first? How well do we know each other? Oh. I learned something new about someone last night. What's Julia's favourite song? Have a guess. What do you reckon? Oh, racking your brains now. Or favourite kind of song, if that's easier for you. Don't, don't cheat, husband. Punk, yeah, punk metal, cancer bats. ABBA? Might be ABBA? No? I know your second... Country and Western? No? Oh, dear. Who? Led Zeppelin. <laughs> what is it? What's your favourite song? Music by John Miles. Music by John Miles. Yeah, some people know that. And your second favourite, I believe, is Vienna? Oh, Vienna. What a cracking song. What is Arlene's favourite colour? Pinky purple? She might not even have a favourite colour. Some people are like that. You haven't? She hasn't got a favourite colour. We're not doing very well, are we? What is Barb's favourite type of film? Romance. No? Do you have a favourite kind of film? No, she doesn't. <laughs> All right, then. What would be Charlie's favourite kind of food? Chinese. Chinese. Indian, French. Oh, uh, we're, going the, we're going the Asian. French. Oh, hang on. French. French. Chinese, Indian, French. Have you got a favourite kind of food? Thai. Thai. Asian. That was, that was a good call. That was a good call. What is Fred's greatest fear? What is, don't answer it, what is, I don't know, Paul's biggest regret, what is my greatest sin? We like to know each other, and we like to be known, but we draw the line, don't we? Yeah? Is that true? See, we often say, or we often heard said, nobody understands me, nobody gets me, if only they got me, if only they knew what was going on in here and in here, my head and my heart, they'd know me and they'd understand. We like that idea, don't we? As long as it remains in the textbook. Because there comes a point when that, or if that becomes reality, 
it gets very scary, doesn't it? Why is vulnerability, exposing our real selves, why is that scary? Because vulnerability to other people is a risk. Why? Because the other party is a person who is flawed and you don't want to be taken advantage of. You're frightened of being judged. You're frightened of being embarrassed. You're frightened of being misunderstood. You're frightened of them abusing that trust you've placed in them. Vulnerability is always a risk when it's with other people. The only time vulnerability is never a risk is when that other person is perfectly benevolent, perfectly good, perfectly reliable and trustworthy when that person is God. Vulnerability with God actually is a no-brainer. Fred's already referred to it in his prayer just now, the God who is all-seeing and all-knowing. So why do we hide stuff from him? Because it's impossible. God knows us. He knows me, warts and all. That's what I've titled today's sermon, warts and all. He knows us, warts and all. No matter how much we try and hide it, no matter how much we go into self-denial and try and pretend those things aren't there, God still knows, God still sees. And yet, he still loves us. Which we must never let go of. Romans 5 verse 8. In this God shows his love that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sacrificial love. Not just saying I love you, but I'm going to do something about it. Because you can't. And I love you that much, I'm going to hurt myself, effectively. I'm going to take on what hurts. And that he shows his love for us. That is the only way vulnerability can ever be a risk, when that person is so trustworthy and so good. And that is what the Bible tells us God is like. And so this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 139. I'm going to read through it in a sec. This is written by a man who is deeply flawed. King David has been hailed as Israel's greatest king. He's described in the Bible as Israel's singer of songs. Everybody loves David. When you mention King David from the Bible, people who know his stories, they start smiling. Hey, King David. Things he did with his mighty men and what a king. But he was deeply, deeply flawed. We heard last week when David shared from Psalm 51, David's falling forward into worship and into genuine repentance when he's been caught out by a massive sin. And as much as in front of God, actually, there are no degrees of sin. A sin is a sin is a sin. But you understand what I mean by the little white lie that slips out. It's very different to a decisive, manipulative act that takes time and is very conscious. But with David, there was a small one moment of lust, a lustful look to a beautiful woman that led to manipulation to get her alone with him. That led to adultery. That led to more lies, more manipulation that led to murder. And that was Israel's greatest king. He was a deeply flawed man. He was a man who struggled with pride. He relied on military might instead of God. He kept focusing on the wrong things. He was a deeply flawed man. And yet, he wrote this psalm that goes into great detail about how much God knows, how much God sees. And there is a refreshing humility and honesty in here from a guy who knows he's flawed, knows God sees it, and trust that the person he can't help being vulnerable to because God sees it all anyway, that that person is good and has got his best interests at heart as long as David is willing to go, I'll give up. 
So let's read through this, and I'll focus on some of the details in a minute. But I want to, I want to, as we read this psalm, let's understand God knows us warts and all. He's already involved in our lives even before the day we were born. We'll find that out in a minute. And yet he, there is a problem he has to deal with, and yet he's dealt with it. And it's when we give up and give in and go, go on then, God. That's when stuff happens. So let's read. Psalm 139. I've been told to read slow. Apparently I read my Bible too fast, let alone talk quickly anyway. So I'm going to... If I start speeding up, tell me to slow down. O oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, bingo, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And what? Lead me into the way of everlasting. David knew he was flawed. He knew God knew that. But he knew God was on his side. Not because of David, but because God is love. Full stop. There is something deep within us that connects, that resonates with stories about loving the unlovely. Aren't there? Jenny's really struggled getting to love our lizard. <laughs> we'll hurt the lizard. When Amy kept trying to drag us after Sunday morning services over to Penfolds across the way. It's a brilliant shop if you haven't visited, if that's your thing. Creepy crawlies, scorpions and tarantulas and pythons. In there, there's a lizard that Amy wanted to buy with her Christmas and birthday money. 
And the first time she finally managed to drag Jenny in there, Jenny stood with as much equidistant circumference from any possible moving thing, and she just stood there, and she just wouldn't even move her eyes. She just, I've entered, I've kept you happy, I'm going. Over time, Jenny gradually learned that they're behind glass, it's quite safe, so you can just like step and, oh yes, I see that one you're pointing out, yes, lovely, I'll be back here if you need me. Over time, and a few more visits, Jenny gradually got out of her shell, no pun intended. Now she happily walks around and says hello to Agro and Ugly, the rhino iguanas, and has a little look at the Amazonian tree frogs and things like that. She's okay. Then we brought the lizard home. It stays behind glass. You're not feeding it cockroaches. I'm not having cockroaches in my house. I only feed it the crickets, the small crickets, the ones that don't make noise. I draw the line. Within a couple of days, he's going, he's quite cute, really, isn't he? <laughs> We're gradually wearing her down. One day she'll cuddle him. She's learning to love the unlovely. But there is something in these stories. There is a thread in many stories you find in films and in children's books, on the TV. The ones that resonate with us are when someone reaches out to the unlovely when the natural instinct, the natural response is not to. Something grabs us inside. There's a children's book by David Williams. He's now being touted as the latest in the new Roald Dahl. There's a brilliant book called Mr. Stink. It's a great book. We read it to Amy last year. I loved it. And there was a TV adaptation at Christmas. Yeah, it was fantastic. Really well done. Mr. Stink, he lives up to his name. In fact, I met Mr. Stink and his wife in real life the other day. (laughs) Mr. Stink and Mrs. Stinkier. That's a whole other story. I'll tell you when we're off the record some of the story without breaking patient confidentiality. But, oh, her BO made me physically rich. And I struggled to love them because of her smell. I struggle to treat them no different to anyone else. There's a natural response to go, oh dear. And the same with Mr. Stink in this story. He is the smelliest tramp you've ever seen. You actually physically see his waft around him <laughs> in, his, in his coat. He's got a coat like this, covered in mud and leaves, and there's this fog <laughs> around this coat. He clears the coffee shop in an instant just by entering the doorway, and everyone, boom, gone. He goes, oh lovely, help ourselves then. All the staff are gone. There's a little schoolgirl called Chloe. Do you know what she does? She reaches out to him. She sits by him on the park bench, starts talking to him, brings him some food, has a coffee with him in the coffee shop. He ends up living in her shed. He ends up becoming part of her family. And he revolutionises her family. Just because she chose to reach out and love the unlovely. And right at the end, there's a lovely line. It's Christmas, and he's bought her a little present. And she goes, Mr Stink, I haven't got you anything. I want to give you something. And I, I, haven't, I haven't got anything. I want to give you something. I haven't got anything to give you. And he goes, Chloe, you have given me more than enough. You've given me hope. Why? See, now, you love that story, don't you? Why? Why do we love that? Because when it comes to real life and we have to do it, oh, you must be joking, I'll get them to do it. Don't we? Why? Why do we love those stories? I'd suggest it's because there is a yearning within us that we sense when we're honest with ourselves, we know there's stuff in us that we don't want other people to know about. We sense there is something wrong. And we get a sense that actually maybe we should be relating more to Mr. Stink than to Chloe. Because our sin makes us unlovely. And we want to be loved. But there's an honesty that hurts. There is something not right in all of us that the whole history of mankind has been unable to fix. It's like looking for the elusive cure for cancer. 
There is a darkness in all of us to varying degrees in how that manifests. Lies, lustful thoughts, revenge, whatever it is, there is dark corners of our heart that we struggle to let go of. It keeps flaring up no matter how much we try and push it down. It still has its way. That's in all of us and the Bible calls that sin. And I'm sure all of us can think of something we don't want anybody in this room to know about. And that's because we relate to the fact that loving the unlovely actually reverses we can be the unlovely and yet God still loves us and we love that. And that's what David actually is saying here. God knows everything, as Fred said. He sees everything, he knows everything. So why do we try and hide it? Why do we try and fix it on our own and keep failing? Look at the first few verses. God knowing and seeing everything. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. He's a mind reader. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Get this one. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. He knows and he searches. My thought life is his open book. Every single thought. It's called omniscience, all-knowing. God is omniscient. And they carry on, next few verses, what does he say? You hem me in. Behind and before, you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. He's before me, he's around me, he's behind me, he's above me, he's below me, he's everywhere. You hem me in. Our response to that can be two ways. Hem me in. That can feel constrictive, or actually it can be freeing, depending on our understanding of who God is. Next few verses. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I fly from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. We cannot flee his presence. All those things, I suggest maybe in those days he could have settled on the far side of the sea. David. All those other things back then were impossible. Not anymore. Felix Baumgartner, the nutter with the parachute, he went to the edge of the heavens with a balloon and a large bit of cloth. And strangely enough, didn't turn up into a lump of, turn out into a lump of human jam. He survived. He's reached the heavens. It's possible these days. We've got the moon landings. I'm sure one day we'll have someone on Mars. Most likely a Chinaman than an American. But I'm sure one day it'll happen. We can reach the heavens now. Making our bed in the depths. David could never have done that. That happens more regularly than we realise now. James Cameron, the film director, last March, he did the first solo venture to the deepest, the bottom of the deepest part of the Mariana Trench, which is the deepest part of the ocean. On his own. Another matter. But he did. He went to the bed of the depths. God's there. We can fly wherever we want. We can emigrate wherever we want. If we've got the wherewithal and the intention, we can go wherever we want in this world now, can't we? It's not, none of that that David has listed is now impossible. And yet God is there. We can't flee his presence. 
These are big words describing a big God. There's omniscience, all-knowing, omnipresence, all-present, ever-present. Nothing escapes his notice. Our immediate reaction could be a bit of paranoia. All my life, he knows everything. He sees everything. That would only be valid if he wasn't good. This is what I'm saying earlier. But he is good. He is perfectly good. In fact, David even says in verses 11 and 12, darkness can't hide from him. He's so beautiful, he's so brilliant, he's so glorious, he's so good, darkness flees. This is a good God. Psalm 119, verse 68, you are good and you do good. He is perfect and he's on our side. So you could take this as Big Brother, 1984 stuff, always watching. Deity CCTV, always watching. But this is a different kind of Big Brother. Jesus, in Hebrews 2 verse 11, says he is not ashamed to call us brothers. This is not Big Brother 1984. This is Big Brother Jesus, who is not watching out to catch us out. He's watching out for us. Different? This is the creator God. Colossians 1 and Genesis 1 tells us that Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we believe in the three-part God. Three persons, but one God. Not three gods. It's a mystery. Don't try and and work it out. That's what makes him God. Father, Son and Holy Spirit were involved in creating this universe, creating us. And the creator who created, who sustains, has been involved all along. Because he's a good God. Not because he's making creatures then run off and get it wrong. And they ah, caught you out. He's not. He understands there is an issue that he, he has to deal with. And we'll talk about that in a sec. But he's a good God with our best intentions at heart. We just need to embrace them. The creator God has been involved in you and in me since before we were born. He's on our side. Because that's exactly where David then leads. Verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. In fact, it goes on. Verse 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Science can explain the mechanics of conception, of fertilisation, of cell multiplication. Science can help explain as much as we're able to right now. I'm sure it'll be able to work out more in the future. It can explain the mechanics of biology. But it's more than mechanical. God's involved. God didn't just get involved with Adam and Eve, the first humans, and let the mechanics of humanity carry on from there. He was involved in David in the womb. He was involved with you in the womb. Have you ever had the phrase, you're an accident, said over, spoken over you? You were an accident? Utter baloney. Don't believe that lie. You are not an accident. God has no accidents. God loves kids, and if he didn't, he wouldn't make them. And he is intricately involved in every child in the womb. He knitted you together. You are not an accident. In fact, verse 16, 
All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knew you before you happened. Isn't that amazing? Embrace it, because he's a good God. God is involved in the unborn child as much as the born child. He doesn't wait for birth and then start his work. He's involved way before that. In fact, the Bible is quite clear. In three times in Luke, elsewhere as well, but three times in Luke there is a word called brephos. B-R-E-P-H-O-S. In the original text, brephos. just means child. But it's used in Luke chapter 1 to describe John in the womb. It's also used in Luke chapter 2 to describe Jesus as the newborn child. Same word. No difference. And it's used in Luke chapter 18 to describe the infants that Jesus says, let them come to me. Don't stop them. Let them come and play with me. Brephos, brephos, brephos. Unborn, newborn infant. It's the same word. God sees no difference between the unborn child and the born child because he's involved already. He's knitting them together in the mother's womb. Who are we to decide between a bunch of cells being created in the uterus and for that same bunch of cells, we can either go, it's an inconvenience, got to do something about that. Or for that same bunch of cells, we can go, what name are we going to give it? What's its future going to be like? Who's it going to marry? Everyone got really excited when Princess Kate got married. Oh, got married, got pregnant. Hey, I wonder what name they're going to come, back, come up with. You're going to look through the royal line and wonder which names they're going to come up with. Is it going to be a king? Oh, you never know, getting very excited. Someone else in the same position, same amount of weeks pregnant, is thinking, I've got to deal with this. It's getting in the way of my career. God sees no difference. That's a tough subject, but God sees no difference. God is involved with us from before we're conceived, let alone during. The one who sees all and knows all knitted you together. Try and picture big knitting needles. It doesn't quite work, does it? But it's a good word, though. He knitted you together, and he has your best intentions at heart. And yet... As David said, even in Psalm 51 we heard last week, so it was in sin I was conceived. Not that it is his mother's sinful act. It's not that. It's just that we are all born sinners. You don't teach a child to be naughty. You have to teach them the opposite. You have to combat something right from the beginning because we were born sinners. We were born in sin and we live out a life of sin. And so God knows us walks and all. He knows all the good stuff about us. He knows how we, how we are wonderfully made because he did that. But he also sees the downside. He sees us warts and all. We're all flawed. He is not. If he's not flawed, if he's perfect, he can't ignore our flaws. He can't just turn a blind eye to it. Because that would not make him perfect. That would not make him just. That would not make him pure. He has to do something about it. And he made a way to our big brother Jesus. Jesus volunteered. Because our sin, our darkness, cannot get anywhere near. Remember the darkness flees from God that we just read out? The darkness in us, sin. It can't tolerate God's presence. And he can't tolerate its presence. And there is straight away, there's a chasm between us. So God has to do something. And there is a punishment. It's called death. It's called eternal separation from him. That we all deserve. And yet Jesus 
volunteered for the job. He goes, I don't want them to die. I don't want them to be separated from us forever. Let me do it. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. David was placing his hopes on the future Messiah. He's saved. Even though he was, existed before Jesus came along, Jesus was still around as eternal God. But just because Jesus came onto this earth a thousand years after David doesn't mean that David's not saved because he was placing his hopes in the future Messiah. Now we have the benefit of getting to know more about the Messiah than David ever did at the time. And Jesus came and took our sin. He accepted our punishment on the cross. That was the ordained, that was the chosen way of punishment. There could have been another. That's the way that was chosen. And it's a beautiful, as much as an ugly image. David was still was flawed all along. He knew God knew about it. He knew he was still loved by God. And he knew he had to accept punishment for it. He knew he had to accept discipline. But he embraced it. He embraced it. Look at verse 23. What does he say? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Then here we go. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a sinner's prayer. On his knees, I know you see everything. I know you know me, warts and all. I know you see the darkness. I am naked before you. So I have no option but to say, I'm trusting you. I'm placing myself in your hands. You know everything about me already. Put me on trial and change me. It's a refreshing honesty, isn't it? That we so often run away from when it comes to us having to do it. But he's just saying, I give up. You know me anyway. You know everything. I'll give up. I'll give in. Help. That is surrender to God. That is surrender to Christ. That is accepting that nothing you do, all the good stuff you do, can ever make up for the other stuff you've done. It's not a karma thing. It's not credits in the bank of good and bad stuff. It's not, am I on Santa's naughty list this year or am I on the good list? This isn't Father Christmas we're talking about. This is a good, benevolent God who still has to deal with sin because he's a good God. But the way is provided through Jesus. And one day we are going to have to stand before him. And he's going, he's going to go, why should I accept you? And nothing we could, we could say. We couldn't get out a diary and go, well, I did this on the 23rd of March. That was quite a nice thing. And I gave some money to Africa at Comet Relief. And I did this and did that. You go, it still doesn't make up for this mountain of sin. The only thing we can ever go is Jesus. It's the only thing we can do. The only thing we can do is what David has done here and give up. Give in. Because he knows everything anyway. What do you struggle with most? I'm sure something's popping in your head now. What do you struggle with most? Could be a damaging habit. Could be a certain kind of temptation. Can be fear. Can be your struggles with rejection or wanting to get vengeance on someone. It could even be loss. It can be illness as well. There are things we struggle with, and yet we try and deal with them on our own. 
He knows. And he's good. So why do we try and do it on our own? Give up. Give in. And go, God, I'm naked anyway. Help me. Giving your life to Christ is giving in and going, it's all about you, it's not about me. You're the only way, I'm not. You're the only one who can do anything about it, I can't. I understand for the things I've done, there is a punishment due, but you took it. There is a reckoning for sin, but you took that reckoning in my place. And even now, 31 years after becoming a Christian, I still don't get it totally. But I accept it because the Bible tells me it's true. I'm going to spend the next however many decades I've got on this earth, God willing, trying to get my head around it. I never fully understand it until I'm in his presence and go, (laughs) but until then, I'm trying to work it out. But either way, just because I haven't fully worked it out doesn't mean it's not true. I fully believe the Bible is his word and it tells me it's true, so I'm just going to accept it. And I'm going to live in light of it. And in that moment, who wants to be Mr. Stink? Come on, then. Come on Julian. <laughs> Just put it around your shoulders. This one. Oh, buttons are down. Up. So it's the last time I wore it. Here we go. The thing about the Mr. Stink story is that we learn that we should be relating to Chloe and doing nice things to the unlovely. Yeah? The reason it resonates most with us is because we should be relating to Mr. Stink. Because in front of God, actually, we have a stench of sin. It's black. No matter what we try and do to cover it up, Jenny wouldn't let me put mud on it this morning. Whatever we do to try and cover it up, we are still wearing the stench of sin. And it wafts around wherever we go. We can try and take it down the, down the legalistic, religious dry cleaners, the moralism, and try and clean it up. It's still a coat that stenches of sin. But in that moment when you give your life up to Christ and go, it's about you. There is a reckoning for sin, but you took it in my place and I accept it. In that moment, he takes off that coat of sin. And effectively, 2,000 years ago, he wore it. Good God, have my sin on his shoulders. That stench. Do you know this? Do you know the, it's a bit of an aside, but this is relevant. You know when they gave him vinegar on a stick, on a sponge? Do you know that part of the cross, the story on the cross? When he was thirsty, they put some vinegar wine and a sponge on a stick and put it to his lips. Do you know what that sponge and that stick is? It's what was used in the latrines for cleaning oneself. He had our physical stench on his lips when he died. <laughs> It's a physical symbol of what was going on. He wore our stench. Willingly. Because he loved us. And he takes off that coat. And he puts on his clothes. Stay standing, Mr. Stink. Because you're not going to... He does want to wear your dressing gown. It's all right. (laughs) What he does is dresses us in his righteousness. He's right standing before God. And go, I don't see Mr. Stink anymore. I see perfection. We've done a swap, an exchange. Christ dealt with our sin. He's glorious. He dealt with our sin on the cross. Done and dusted once and for all, never to be repeated. And when God looks at us, when we've given our life over to Christ and we still make mistakes, we still need to say sorry, we still need to repent, and we still need to be humble before him and ask him to help us grow. But from that moment, 
God looks at you and goes, I see Jesus. I see right standing before God because Jesus has dealt with it. It doesn't need repeating. No longer called Mr. Stink, but a saint. Go and sit down, is not I think, just as we come to an end, it'd be good to pray through those last two verses that David wrote. Verse 23, verse 24. Because in that exchange, it's not just a different, no, it's just a symbol. It's not just a changing of a coat. The Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. We are re-knitted spiritually, made new, starting afresh. Just as the way you were always intended. The way he always wanted it. But sin, our choice, our decision to put ourselves in God's place and think we know better. God starts again. He goes, now I'm going to give you a new name. You're not Mr. Stink. You're my child. Just for a moment, close your eyes. Maybe before I read these, read these words out and pray through them, just be silent before God. There can be a number of, thing, number of things, but whatever springs to mind first or most, talk to God about it because he knows already and he's on your side. It can be a struggle. It could be a sin you haven't dealt with him about. Maybe you've never known Christ until now in this way. But the prayer is as simple as that. It's, I give up, I give in, I'm sorry, I'm flawed. There's darkness in the corners of my heart I've never been able to deal with, but I know you can help me. Just speak to him, just for a few seconds, and then I'll start praying. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, help us to trust you, to place ourselves in your hands, to be honest with you, because you know already. Vulnerability with a good God who has made a way to deal with our sin is a win-win situation. Lord, we give ourselves over to you. And we say, help us. Be that privately. Maybe we need to speak to brothers or sisters who can help us keep accountable and avoid certain places or certain people or certain things. Maybe we need to pray or talk this through more with brothers or sisters that we respect and trust. Then lead us to the right ones.
But Lord, by your Holy Spirit, may you bring healing. May you bring peace. Help us grow as your children. And have others draw into your family when they recognise that even while we were Mr. Stink, you loved us and died for us that we might not be. Jesus, our big brother, we thank you so much. Lead us in the way everlasting, Lord Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. If there's anything you want to pray through, talk through, please grab me. John David, cell leader. Don't let it stay here. We're a few minutes early.